This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. Well, we want to continue our series, Emotions, Let's Not Be Deceived. Last Sunday, we talked about uh, knowing who you are. That was part one, and then I'm going to do part two this morning. But knowing who you are, part two. But I want to go back over just a little bit of part one. We talked last week about the Bible saying in Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And then I asked these three questions. Who do you say that you are? And then I asked, who do other people say that you are? And then the third question was, who does God say that you are? And then, which one's the real you? Now, immediately everybody would say, who God says that I am is the real me. But many times, people simply do not know what the Bible says about who they are. And even if they do know what the Bible says about who they are, they've never understood the work of the Holy Spirit to apply in and through the person what the Bible says that they are. And I brought my wife's paint brush and her colors up here, and I talked about the fact of how all of us, since the time we were born, had moms and dads, people who loved us, people in authority over us, and how they basically painted a picture of us growing up by the way they spoke to us and how they led us. And so our moms and dads and those in authority with us shape up our life from the very beginning. Well, then later in life, uh, you might get married, and maybe your marriage partner has this view of you that they are determined that you will be for them, and they don't know that they're this way. They come from families of codependency, and so therefore you could have a spouse that's shaping up who you are instead of what the Bible says about who you are. And then I've talked about other authorities in our life, like football coaches, baseball coaches, school teachers. School teachers can have a powerful impact on a person's life. And uh, I know I had a couple of uh, school teachers that probably uh, didn't do very much to help me in how I saw myself, but then I had other school teachers that did a wonderful job. And I know you could say the same thing. And so we talked about who is painting the picture of your life. Is the media painting the picture of your life? Is it friends or is it your spouse? And what paints are they using? Are they using their own worldview? Or are they painting a picture of you from their own damaged emotions? You can know this. If you're not in the Word of God, being carried along by the Holy Spirit of God, someone probably is faithfully painting a picture of what they want you to be, and you'll find yourself not knowing who you are. And the answer for the child of God is this. You and your identity is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Mike Coppicus and I went over to Alabama to a pastor's conference over the weekend, and we left kind of late Thursday, about four o'clock Thursday, and I uh, just got back late last night, and we met a young man while we were over there, and he just needed some counseling and just some encouragement, and he got a boatload full of it, and he had been studying God's Word, memorizing God's Word. He said, but I am as unhappy as I can be. What is wrong with me? And so we spent a lot of time talking with him, sitting right there on a deck uh, overlooking the Tennessee River, and uh, God used us. I asked him, I said, do you believe God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, do you believe they're all three one? He said, absolutely. I said, tell me what you know about the Holy Spirit. He didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Uh, his church doesn't teach about the Holy Spirit, and so he realized that he was studying God's Word, and he was faithfully memorizing, but 
He did not know how to rely on the Holy Spirit to appropriate all that he was learning in God's Word. And so I told him on several occasions, I said, remember this, keep this in your mind, oil in the lamp, gas in the car, Christ in the Christian, which y'all have heard me do that many times. And I said that three or four times to him throughout the days we were with him. And then last night as we were getting in the car to head back to Memphis, uh, he looked at me and he said, oil in the lamp, gas in the car, Christ in the Christian. I said, you got it, and I've helped you. And I said, you apply that to all that you're learning, and something new and different is going to happen uh, to your life, and he will find his identity, I do believe. And then we looked at Galatians 2.20 about the fact that we're crucified with Christ, and then we talked about what Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we talked about what Jesus had to say about loving God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and how important it is for us to love ourselves. That is a good thing to do. We looked at the fact of how we're created in the image of God, and God had told uh, Adam and Eve that they were not to eat a fruit of the garden, and so they disobeyed God, and sin came into the world, and it marred the image that God had made of them. They were created in the image of God. And to be theologically accurate, we're created in the image of Adam. That's a whole other subject for another day. But you and I are created in the image of Adam. And Genesis 2.25 says, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Prior to the fall of man, prior to them sinning in the garden, Adam and Eve were perfect in every way. And their identity, they had no problems with their identity. Everything was perfect, but then they did sin, and we know something happened to them. We looked at the fact that though God said that surely you will die if you eat of the fruit, we looked at the fact that when you think of Adam and Eve, they did not die physically because they began to have children. So they didn't die physically. God said, if you eat this fruit, you will surely die. They did not die physically. They did not die psychologically or emotionally because they continued to relate to one another. So the only thing left was what part of them died, and we said their spirit died. The Holy Spirit was no longer in their spirit. And then we looked at Ephesians 4.18, talking about how every child that's ever been born since that time were born with a darkened mind, a darkened understanding. And then we looked at how God came to Adam and Eve after they sinned in the cool of the day, And he asked Adam, where are you? Not because God didn't know where he was, because God knows all things. God wanted Adam to realize where he is. And that is a description of mankind up to this very day. Mankind is hiding from God, but also hiding from one another. We're no longer in this perfect uh, state that they were in with self-confidence, with a perfect identity and a perfect ongoing fellowship with God. And so mankind has a poor self-image from the very beginning because the minds are darkened. And then this begins part two. Romans chapter five, verse 12. This begins part two. Listen to what the apostle Paul said. He said, therefore, just as through one man talking about Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, especially Adam here, because it says clearly in Romans 5.12, just as through one man sin entered into the world, speaking of Adam, when he sinned, mankind's self-image was shattered. And it is shattered up to this very day. 
And as I said last week, God sent Jesus Christ to put God back in the man. From the time we were little kids, we would hear about Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And I want to tell you, mankind is living their lives, trying their best to put themselves back together, but they're not doing it according to the Word of God because their minds are darkened and they're separated from God. And so this first sin absolutely ruined the human race. Adam was the federal head of the human race, and when he sinned, we all sinned because we were all in Adam. And so you say, what has all this got to do with the emotions? Well, we're going to be on this subject for quite a while, and these are foundational truths and teaching on the emotions, the fact that our emotions are God-given. There's nothing wrong with our emotions, though our emotions can get all fouled up. We looked in the introductory message, the very first message of this series, and we saw that Jesus had emotions. He was both God and man, that he was compassionate, and Jesus wept. Uh, we see that uh, he ran the uh, money changers out of the temple so he could have a righteous indignation, a righteous anger. And so we have emotions, but they can be marred, and we can act uh, in a wrong way if we have damaged uh, emotions, and we all do. And so Verse 19 of Romans 5, we see that the consequence of Adam's sin was many were made sinners. And so when you look around at the human race, what you see, we see a fallen race, everyone hiding from God and hiding from one another, everybody feeling a sense of shame. And so therefore their identity is marred and they're trying to cover up, they're trying to put on an image to make others see or think something about them that they don't even believe of themselves. That's what controls mankind. And if you're in the marketing business or if you have clothing stores, you can make a whole lot of money trying to make people look a certain way that they think in their minds that would make them acceptable to God. And so mankind continues down this road of really play-acting. Now, probably as a child of God, probably one of the worst things that someone could call you if they walked right up to you and looked at you and called you a hypocrite. I mean, that would be tough. I mean, how would you like somebody to look at you and you hypocrite? That's probably about the worst thing uh, you could have someone say to you is to call you a hypocrite, which that word means to play act. I believe with all my heart, a lot of people, they may be hypocritical in the Christian community and all of us, the truth is, all of us are hypocrites. If you look at what it really means, we're all hypocrites. Anytime you try to present something of yourself that's either true or untrue, what you're doing, you're being hypocritical. You're trying to cause people to see you in a way other than maybe what you really are inside. So when I see that word hypocrite, when people say, well, I think this person is a hypocrite, I feel sorry for them because I know that we all have these tendencies. I believe most Christians are trying hard to find their true identity. And it's not so much they're trying to deceive in a kind of a laughing, smirky way. It's they're trying their best to be what God would want them to be, but they've never been taught, and they don't even know what they're trying to do, and they're just deceived, and they are play-acting, and they're worried more about clothes, cars, their houses, who they know, uh, what they drive, how much they have, and all these things, trying to be 
something, trying to be somebody instead of being at peace with this. I'm in Christ and Christ is in me and I have nothing really more to offer you. And so mankind is, is in this cycle of worrying about what other people think about them. You think about a little child. A little child has no clear picture of himself. He sees himself only in the mirror of his parents' evaluation of him. There's nothing worse than a mom or dad or a child growing up in an environment where they're put down. They're told them, you, you don't measure up. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're ugly. Or you can't play on this team. You're not good enough or whatever. There's nothing more damaging to a child than to get a steady diet uh, and people frowning upon them as if they have not arrived. And then you think about those middle school ages. When you get into middle school, uh, young people are very conscious of their self-image and uh, they're trying to find out who they are and there is tremendous peer pressure. We'll have peer pressure the rest of our lives. But when you're at that age, you now have moved from almost a sense of being almost innocent, but not, I do believe in total depravity, but a sense of moving from that into a, a sense of becoming very, very aware. People are looking at me, watching me, comparing me with themselves. And then you move on to those high school years where they go through puberty and other major changes, and they find themselves struggling with themselves. And then they get married. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine two people when they were a child like we all do? Middle school years, the peer pressure becomes strong. High school years, puberty and all these things. And then finally they get engaged and then they come together and they get married. I never will forget seeing a man and his wife on a video. I was at Bellevue Baptist at the time. And there was two chairs on the platform. And the husband and the wife were sitting in the chairs. And they had all these chains, about ten chains, draped across their legs. And so the lady began to tell her whole life story and that she was being very honest and very transparent. And each time she went through an event in her life that was traumatic, she took one of those chains and she put it around her neck. And then she went into her teenage years, her first date, and all these things, and each time she'd take the chain off her legs and she'd put it over her neck until all ten chains were around her neck. Now, then her husband started sharing his testimony, and he was being transparent, and he was talking about hurts that he had gone through in life and ways of thinking, and he went through, and each time he'd put a chain over his neck until he had ten chains around his neck. And then the man looked at the audience and said, and then we got married. All of us have things we bring into our marriages that are both good and bad. And not to believe that is to believe a lie. There is nobody in this room that is perfect. You'll never be perfect. You may have an image of yourself as Mr. or Miss Perfect, but I want to tell you there's going to be struggles. No one is immune to it. And the wisest thing we can do is admit it and say, God, in his words, show me what it is I need to know about me so that I can overcome these things and not do any more damage to my spouse, my children, or the place of employment where I work or wherever you may be. And so people get married and their identity has been shaped up since childhood through the middle school years, the high school years. Then you get right around 35, getting those 40-year-old uh, ages. You know, a lot of people think they're middle-aged 
But how many 110-year-old people do you really know? If you're 55, which I am now, I'm not middle-aged. I'm an older man. I got my senior coffee just the other day discounted. I am a senior. But when you get to be 35 and 40, those years considered middle-aged is when some people go through what's called a midlife crisis. We normally think of men going through these, but women go through these just as well. People begin to feel that life has passed them by and they haven't attained their goals. Depression sets in and sometimes they may even go out and buy a brand new red sports car. And they drive down the road and they have an image of themselves a lot younger than they really are. (laughs) Uh, All of us see ourselves a lot more handsome and beautiful than we really are. And they're driving down the road with this sports car or with this nice motorcycle with these nice clothes on, and it's like they're trying to relive some days where they really felt like they had reached their mark. That's why so many people, sometimes they go back to their hometowns, and they literally try to be the football star and the cheerleader, and there they are in 50 and 60-year-old bodies. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know people that way, and maybe you're that way. I don't know. But because of this, this is the way we are. We're like bubbles. It's like everyone's living in a bubble, and we're bumping into each other in our bubbles, but nobody can really get close to us because we're in this bubble that started long, long, long ago, and nobody is immune to this. So, because of what happened in the garden, that sense of well-being, proper self-esteem, was all marred and shattered, though God made us, made Adam in his image, and we're made in the image of Adam. So because of this, what happened in the fall of Adam, man is born spiritually dead and separated from a holy God. I don't really have a lot of points here. It's more commentary. But if you'll keep this in your mind, it's going to help you understand the people you work with, the people you live with, your mom and dad, your aunts and uncles. And when you see conflict, You can just say it all goes back to what we're looking at in this series. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 says, praise God. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Listen to this. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You know what this is saying? This is saying that you and I, when we ask Christ to come into our heart, we're born again, we're born from above, we are new creations, and we're now alive together with Christ. God has been put back in the man. Remember, Adam and Eve did not die bodily. They did not die psychologically. Their spirit died. God's spirit was not in their spirit. And that's the reason they reacted the way they reacted. They became ashamed. They hid from themselves. And because of that sin, every child that's ever been born down through history is born in this sense of shame, hiding, wondering what people are thinking about them, and living their life controlled by all of that. Now, Jesus' finished work on the cross made it possible for us to be transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, He made him who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, what Adam lost in the garden has been restored. Jesus took our sin to the cross so that we may be reconciled to God, but we must receive this by faith. When we receive this by faith, God is put back into the man and everything we just described that holds us back in our emotions, that shapes us from the time we're children, all that can be restored and be renewed and we can live a godly, spirit-filled life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. And so when you receive His gift, this transforms you into something completely different. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Not only are we forgiven forever, we become a new person. What it's talking about here is a metamorphosis. You've heard this illustration since you were kids. You take a caterpillar. What does it do? An ugly worm. A caterpillar is transformed, has a metamorphosis, and is transformed into a butterfly. I mean, a total different thing. One time, ugly, crawling uh, across the ground, and then transformed into a butterfly, and is beautiful with all the beautiful colors, and can fly above the ground. So when you and I become children of God, you and I become new creatures in Christ Jesus. God has not just patched up the old, You are a brand new creature, a brand new person in Christ Jesus. You say, why are you harping on this? Because we're going to look at a lot of emotions in the weeks ahead, and I'm going to continue to have to bring us back to what we're talking about right now as the remedy for each one of the emotions that we're going to look at more specifically. And so when you pray and ask Christ to come to your heart, there has been a metamorphosis You've been changed. There's been a transformation. You're no longer in Adam. You're in Christ Jesus. You're no longer in Satan's kingdom. You're in God's kingdom. But this is the problem. In our mind and in our memories, we still have the mind and the memories of the past, even though the old things are passed away. And that can control a child of God if the child of God does not know what it means to let the Spirit control the new creation That he is. And so when we look into God's word, which is like a mirror, we see how we can be transformed into the image of who we are in Christ Jesus. That's why I encourage you to be in Bible study, to be in prayer. Start your morning off with Bible study and prayer and see yourself in the mirror of God's word. This is who I am. That's who I was. This is who I am. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Look at the word here. Are being transformed, that's progressive sanctification here, into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And so, God's Holy Spirit in the washing of the Word of God transforms us and changes us 
from the inside, and that necessarily changes the outside. So, you say, what's one of the Holy Spirit's job descriptions? Look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Listen to what Paul said. He says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he, talking about the Spirit of God, who began a good work in you, in you, notice, inside of you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, if you were to go to a secular uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, or a counselor, and they didn't use God's Word to help you, they would totally have you fixed on you changing you. They would tell you ten things to do. Number one, they'd tell you you need to think very positive. But the problem with thinking positive is sometimes you forget to think positive. And sometimes you don't feel like thinking positive. Why? Because things are just negative. And so there you are. You're stuck. You're just stuck. That's secular psychology. And ultimately, it can do some help and it can do some good. But ultimately, it can't help you like God's Word can because God's Word will cause you to be Christ-centered. God's Word will cause you, number one, to see if you're born again, if you have believed, if you have received Christ, and now that you have, you have the Spirit who's working in you to accomplish His purposes for you, and His purpose for you is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so, with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you undergo a renewing of the mind. Instead of living life as a caterpillar, you live life as a butterfly. And so, again, Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, another verse for uh, this transformation is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Now, Paul says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, in the very first message, the introduction, I said, the emotions have to always be subservient to the spirit and the mind and the will. You cannot let your emotions control you. If your emotions control you, I'm telling you, you'll never be conformed to the image of Jesus. If your emotions control you, your relationship problems will continue on and probably worsen. We can't make decisions based on how we feel. We have to make decisions based on facts. We can't make decisions based on facts other than the Word of God for life issues. And so the emotions, they are God-given. Emotions are not bad. But if the mind is still darkened, according to Ephesians 2, well then, if the mind is darkened, that's going to affect the human will and the human will is going to act in a wrong way, that's going to affect the emotions. So mankind, at the fall of Adam, sin came to the world, and so the Spirit of God was out of mankind. Jesus came to put God back in the man. Until a person is born again, born from above, they live in a darkened mind. And so therefore they make choices not based on the Word of God, but they make choices based on how they feel. And that's why the divorce rate's so high. That's why there's so much trouble in the world is because mankind has a darkened mind. Now, believers who have believed in the work of Christ on the cross, they have received Christ. Like the young man that Mike and I counseled on our trip, 
He was in the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God. He did not know the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he was trying to live up to expectations. He was in an absolute performance mode, thinking, I've got to do all these things. And I want to tell you, he was burned out, and psychologically he was coming apart. But now he understands the full message. And now I believe all that he studied and memorized, God's going to take every bit of that and is going to use it mightily in him is what's going to happen. And so in Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, when a person doesn't get saved until they're, say, a teenager or maybe older in their 20s, think about how many years they've gone with their mind being programmed a wrong way. Especially in the age in which we live with technology. What we take in our eyes, what we take in our ears, shapes us. I'm telling you, it shapes us even when we don't know that it's shaping us. It's shaping us. And so when someone goes a very long time without being saved, they've got all these things in their minds. And I want to tell you, it's not an easy fix. And they bring this into their marriages. They bring this into all their relationships. And there's so much strife in things from people who either have a darkened mind or people born again, but they still do not know what it means to appropriate all that I'm learning in Christ Jesus. There was a man, uh, his name was uh, Gillum, and he said it works kind of like this. I think it's a good illustration, so I'll try to illustrate it to you. Mike told me I needed to have an image on the screen, but I didn't have one. Think of two thermometers. One thermometer represents your mind. The other thermometer represents your emotions. And so both of them are at zero. And they're right there. Just picture them in your mind's eye. You're driving down the road, and a car pulls in front of you, and you almost hit that car. This is what happens. Your mind goes all the way to 10. Your emotions go all the way to 10. And then you're sitting on the side of the road and you say, praise God, I missed. I'm okay. And you're sitting there. Your mind goes all the way back down to zero. Why? I didn't get hit and I didn't hit them. But listen, your emotions does not go down that quickly. It may come down slowly, kind of like putting a steel marble and some kind of real thick liquid. Your emotions just kind of goes down real slowly and may even stop at a certain point, still shaken up. But your mind's gone all the way to zero. Now, you let something else happen in your life, the same thing happens again. The mind goes way up to the top, then everything's okay, or you get over it and it goes back down. But your emotions go up a little bit more. It can get stuck there. Or it can just slow down and coming back down and settling. Just settling all the way back down to zero for the emotions is a pretty hard thing. Especially if you're not at peace with yourself and at peace with other people. And so that's why I'm doing this series on the emotions. is because even though the emotions are the shallowest part of our being, if you think you're going to take the Word of God and just cram your mind full of the Word of God and that your emotions are just going to go back to zero, I'm telling you, without the work of the Holy Spirit and some time... It's just not going to happen, especially if you don't see yourself 
correctly. It's going to delay it for years and years, and you might find that you never really uh, get over this. And so, you take somebody who grows up in a home that's very dysfunctional, very controlling, very uh, verbal abusive, puts you down, call you stupid, all these type things, and so therefore your emotions are always ding, 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 ding. Finally, you live your life and your emotions stay at number eight all the time. And so if your spouse says, where are my shoes? I don't know where your shoes are. All I did was ask a question. On and on and on it goes. And so we have to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in transforming our minds. Scripture promises this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. It's talking about a gradual process that changes us into Christ-likeness. It says, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And then Paul says in Romans 8, 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, listen, to become conformed, Here's the word, image, to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, conformed to the image of Christ. Now, let me ask you again. Who do you say that you are? If somebody were to ask you, who do other people say that you are? Who does God say that you are? Which is the real you? You say, well, the real me is who God says that I am. Does your mind And does your emotions really know who God says that you are? And if you've learned these truths, have you appropriated the truths that you learned by the power of the Holy Spirit in you? That is the whole key of everything. You cannot appropriate all that you learn in God's Word without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, as we look to the future and as we think about these other emotions that we're going to look at, we're going to have to keep coming back to these foundational truths. All of us have been shaped in those early years by those first authorities in our life. Then we go off to school and we have these experiences, these life experiences that shape us and how we think, how we act, how we feel. All that can change by simply choosing to go back to the Word of God. Spend time in the Word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. And I pray that each one of you would do it because no one can do this for you. It is an individual thing. You have an individual mind. You have an individual will. You have individual emotions. And it's ungodly to be codependent on anyone. Are you in a codependent relationship? Is someone else controlling your mind, your will, or emotions? Are you controlling someone else's mind, will, and emotion, and you're not aware of it? Listen, each one of us, we're all old enough here in this sanctuary. Go back to the Word of God. Walk in the Spirit of God. And if you have a wrong image of yourself, and it's not a godly image, change your thinking by the Word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. And I want to tell you, He will renew you. He will renew you. There is a whole part of you that probably never has come out of you. There's a whole other personality 
this waiting to come out of you if you'll only let God have all there is of you. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.